uh, I was 18. I just moved out of the house and she was, I was like, you know, I'm not going to go to college. Like I don't have a pathway to citizenship. I feel like all my friends are doing things and I'm such a loser. Um, and somewhere along the way, like this girl just said, you know, you're very funny. Like you're one of the funniest people I've ever met. Uh, you should you try doing something. And then I realized like when I was a kid, most kids would get up early to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I, <laughs> yeah. would, I would stay up late to watch uh, Comedy Central Presents, like on Friday nights, like they'd have two yeah. comedians, you know, 30 minutes. So that was my like, that night I was just like, you know what, if, if my friends are going to school and it's gonna take them like four to six years to finish, I'm gonna spend the next six years doing stand-up comedy and that's gonna be my school. I'm gonna learn everything about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch everybody's specials. And yo, no lie, till this day, wow. till this day, I watch comedy like it's a football reel. Like, what is going on, everyone? I'm your host, Kevin Munoz. You're listening to the Leo Podcast, where we talk about various educational topics, especially those impacting the Latin American community. This is today's free episode. If you want early access to episodes and bonus episodes, you can find that right now on our patreon.com slash latinamericaneo and if not then enjoy this one in today's episode i had the pleasure to speak with stand-up comedian and tiktok content creator che guerrero who has been facing his undocumented problem for 30 years he does stand up and puts out content mainly through TikTok about being undocumented and has recently released his own podcast called My Undocumented Ass Podcast, where he talks to other undocumented people about their personal struggles with the immigration system in a funny, revealing, and humanizing way. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I'm finally happy that we're putting this together and and I'm glad that you accepted my invitation to be on here as well. I'm I'm so interested in hearing about um how like TikTok has elevated like your content and specifically content that is for the undocumented community because it's not it's I don't really see many um undocumented folks in content creation in general, let alone in, uh on TikTok. And I don't know if that's like my algorithm or, but anytime I see like a Latino content creator, I'm just like, I'm like, click, 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 oh, like, same here. Same yeah, I'm just here. like, like, yeah. I don't care what it is. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm going to hit like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, um, uh, I just had my heart broken. You, you know, the girl on TikTok that like destroys men. I thought yes, she was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like they send, they send stuff to her and she's like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm going to get them today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah with the last, I thought, I thought she was, I thought she was Hispanic. I'm like, oh, she's Samoan. We, oh we, really? I, yeah, yeah. I thought she was a oh, fan. I, I thought she was that, part yeah. of our team. I was like, yeah, Latino yeah. team on TikTok, but no, nah, she's right. Damn, that's uh, wild. I do the same thing. I follow every Hispanic person I can find on there. But for me, it's been um, honestly, it's been an unexpected uh, blessing, really, because yeah. um, when I first started on TikTok, I was kind of just putting out a lot of um, junk, like just a lot of like jokes and trying to be like, man, relationships be like this. But then um, one TikTok that I did, I did it about like how hard it is to go to college when you're undocumented. And that surprisingly like did fairly well. And then I was like, you know what, let me let me put out another one like this and see what happens. And I was honestly, TikTok was the first time I even put together in my head that there is an undocumented community. 
You know, that when you hear yeah. there's 11 million of us, you don't think that's 11 million people plus their friends and family who know them. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's easily true. like 50, yeah. 60 million people. That's, you know, that's a big percentage yeah. of the country affected by this. So, you know, one of the biggest things is like, I didn't know who I was talking to when I first started doing my TikToks. So that's why I mm. called it my undocumented ass. So it was supposed to be like a joke. Like, you know, it would be like, oh, my dumb ass didn't know that. So, so I did my like my undocumented ass. ass to make it about myself. So then whoever was laughing at the joke, uh, you know, they would be like, hey, this happened to me too. And I could be like, oh, cool. Like, I'm so happy. That's from my stand-up years. Yeah. Uh, I've done stand-up comedy since I was 18. So one thing that I learned from stand-up very quickly is when you do a joke, it's easier to say, I thought this or I did this. Because if you say something like, like, hey, don't y'all like feet? And the audience is like, no, <laughs> that's just you. You know what I mean? So, like, oh, just me? Like, no one else? <laughs> so when you say, hey, I like this, you know, the audience yeah. is like, all right, we're talking about you. You know, what's going on with you? So that's when I started doing my TikToks like that. And honestly, like, I've been uh, finding a lot of people that are, I've been very vocal. And it's really crazy because, you know, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up kind of like, you know, undocumented, you have to be very quiet. I wasn't very oh, vocal. Yeah. I didn't know that there were programs, organizations, you know, I didn't know there were people marching the streets for our rights, you know, so it wasn't until I was on TikTok and the algorithm was like, hey, check out this undocumented person who's making clothing. Check out this undocumented person who's a lawyer, right. who's a therapist, that I was like, oh man, this is beautiful. Like so many survivor stories, you know, because these are also the stories of survivors, Yeah, you know, and it's and it became a very... uh rewarding experience and it's it's all i've ever wanted to do since i realized like you know that my voice could actually you know be important to somebody wow that's amazing no i, I i'm absolutely with you on that um especially finding the community it's so surprising always like seeing how much how much support you get from strangers like i always tell that to people right like you never would expect it um but we're here to talk about like your your survival story right and your journey and I just want to know how you even came about um, doing stand-up first, right? And then uh, going into content creating on on TikTok. So how did, like, you know, I, I assume you weren't in, like, school, like, oh, I'm going to be, like, a TikToker. <laughs> like, I don't even, that was yeah, even around, no, you know what I mean? No, like, yeah, yeah, like so, so, ago, so yeah, that's, yeah, right. Yeah. So I want to know, like, what what it was um, your journey as an undocumented person as well. And yeah. and you using comedy to to really voice uh, a community too, like all the things that we have to deal with and mix that with comedy is what I love about you because you do that so well. And you always see your content makes me laugh even though it's like a serious like topic. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's our people, man. Like humor has always been part of my life. You know, like um, my, my grandmother, um, I just, you know, in talking to her recently, you know, I really found out like, you know, during the, the Trujillo dictatorship of the Dominican Republic, like she was born in 1930, 1934. So mm -hmm. this was like two years, three years after Trujillo came into power. So most of her, like up until her 30, she grew up under this dictatorship. And my my grandmother has such an amazing sense of humor, like about the time and and you know, the atrocity that she's told me. She still says it with, with like a joke. And and I realized that a lot of like my survival mechanism of humor comes from my grandma. Like my grandma, 
super funny, super sarcastic, like just, <laughs> just great. And that's just kind of how I grew up. You know, um, I came to this country when I was six because um, my mother was trying to escape my my abusive father in the Dominican Republic, you know, and, and you know, she she felt like she couldn't go to anyone for help. So she just had to escape, you know. So growing up, I always used humor as a way to just to kind of get people not to ask me too many questions, you know what I mean? Because like, you know, like, you know, my thing was like always make people laugh and then you can kind of like deviate from what you were originally talking about. I always knew, you know, you make people laugh, you can make friends with anyone. They don't ask you too many questions about where you're from. <laughs> what you do. Like, ah, this guy's hilarious. Who cares? Yeah, you know, yeah. We, we, we got a clown in the house. Who cares? Right, you know, right. um, so that kind of became my survival mechanism. And then. When I was 18, uh, I moved out of the house. I just couldn't, I had a lot of issues at home. And, uh, and that, that was very scary because, you know, it's funny, like uh, I'm, I'm reading this great book right now called um, The Distance Between Us, you know, and in it, it's the first time I ever read a book where in, uh, like an immigrant and an undocumented person talks about having a very shitty mother mm. and father, you know what I mean? Because mm. it's, always, it's always these stories that are painted of, Oh, the parents came here for a better life, and, and you know they work so hard for their kids. Sometimes uh, drug addicts come here too, and they're very shitty people. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I had yeah. these these terrible parents, and it's just also like this undocumented situation, and it just felt like you know it was it was just so chaotic. Like I just felt like I couldn't complain about it because you automatically get the thing where you're like, oh well, your parents came here. You know, so like you they sacrificed everything for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, man, but I can't even talk about how horrible they are at all. You know, so it was very yeah. conflicting. And uh, I use humor a lot to deal with that. Like, you know, so uh, so I moved out of the house when I was 18 and wow. I was living on my own in New York City. That's where I grew wow. up. But then I had like moved out. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go. And that's, the, the, you know, it's crazy how kids don't realize how much danger they're putting themselves into. Like, because it, it was if I could if I look back now, sometimes I have to be, you know, um, I have to be kinder to myself, you know, because a lot of times you realize like, yo, yeah, I was living in survival mode yeah and i wasn't aware of everything that i was doing so i you left just, the house at 18 yeah. you know and i started like you know working like you know little jobs that i could and really it wasn't it wasn't even expected i was just talking to a girlfriend over the phone and she made a comment uh, i was 18 i just moved out of the house and she was i was like you know i'm not gonna go to college like i don't have a pathway to citizenship i feel like all my friends are doing things and i'm such a loser um and Somewhere along the way, like this girl just said, you know, you're very funny. Like you're one of the funniest people I've ever met. Uh, you should you try doing something. And then I realized like when I was a kid, most kids would get up early to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I, <laughs> yeah. would, I would stay up late to watch uh, Comedy Central Presents, like on Friday nights, like they'd have two yeah. comedians, you know, 30 minutes. So that was my like that night. I was just like, you know what? If if my friends are going to school and it's going to take them like four to six years to finish, I'm going to spend the next six years doing stand-up comedy and that's going to be my school. I'm going to learn everything about it. I'm going to, I'm going to watch everybody's specials and yo, no lie till this day, wow. till this day I watch comedy. Like it's a football reel. Like I watch everybody's stand-up special on Netflix. I can tell you what's shitty about them. What's good. Like I know what everybody talks about. So I don't talk about the same crap. Like I'm just like hyper-focused about comedy. Yeah, so yeah. when I started at 18, you know, I started off very scared, you know, because like I was funny, but I didn't want to reveal too much about myself still, you know, like I was like, like your status, right? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so a lot of my first jokes were very like sex, 
let's talk about like, you know, my job. And I would lie and, and say I was born in Queens. I, w- I would get bullshit lies during my acts. <laughs> uh, what were you, where were you working at that time? Oh man, my, yo, I have like the craziest. So I started comedy, no lie, like the same week that Pete Davidson and Michael Chase started comedy. Like I, I started, I have those no guys' way. numbers on my phone in New York City. Like we were 18, 19 year old kids in a comedy. Yeah, they had no idea I was undocumented. It was like, it was crazy, man. I got to work with a lot of big people now. That's insane. That is actually yeah. insane. I, I started at, I, I did it at, a, a, at the New York Comedy Club. I did mm-hmm. the stand, I did Caroline's, I did Broadway, I did Eastville Comedy Club. Man, mm-hmm. I was, for six years, I was a regular at all these big, com- other than the cellar, like the biggest comedy club in, in the country, I, I hit every single comedy club in New York City. Every stage, every, every off-Broadway stage, man, for like 10 years, I was in New York City grinding it out. Undocumented. You were really doing that. That's insane. Yeah, because you know some people just say they're gonna do something, but you were really about it. Like, no, man. Like, I got seriously. I got like Pete Davidson, Michael Che, Ali Wong, Chris DeStefano, all these people's phone numbers who went on to do great things. Like, I was there. You know what I mean? And what's crazy about that was it, it became like what broke my heart about that time was that I realized that it was not just about talent. That so much race and status was against me that like that that was what kind of broke my heart and almost broke me for a little while you know because like like um like i'll give you like a a perfect example of something that that like that happened to me that was kind of like it's just it kind of put everything to perspective so Mm. at one point i was i was super hot right i was still undocumented but i was going i was super hot everybody was some some people were starting to say my name around around new york city right so at one point uh the biggest tv show on mtv called the guy code i don't know if you remember that show. oh yeah i watched i watched i used to watch guy code p davidson michael che little yeah. well charlamagne yeah. the god all these dudes won that show right yep yep so so new york city like so so mtv goes yo season three is coming up of guy code and we have no latinx people on the show we should get a latinx person on the show right so they go bet so they do a catacall all around the country. They do New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, Atlanta. Yo, we're looking for a Latinx dude to put on guy code, right? You're like, yo, that's so, me. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even think about it, right? But okay, okay. I, I won't give names, but the person who was like the producer of the show knew me. She knew that my name was coming up in the game, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and mind you, like, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket because, you know, I'm on documents. So I'm like, this is it. This is what, this Just is what true. I need. I need to make this money so I can get a lawyer. So maybe they can, you know what I mean? So I need this. You go, yeah, you, you already got it. You got the gears going in your head. <laughs> I'm thinking this is going to be the movie, you know what I mean? So I got all this thing going, right? So, so, so she tells me, hey, you know, come in tomorrow and audition for Geico, right? I come mm. in the next day, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm 21, 22 at the time. No, no, I'm wow. like, yeah, 22. Yeah, 22 at the time, you know, 34 now. So, you know, I seem like an old man talking about this, but. Um, Still no, so I come man. in, you know, and, and there's like six, seven people in the room, right? Six, seven people in the room and they go, all right. So they sent me a, like a, a thing the night before they were like, these are these topic ideas and come up with jokes. Right. And one of them was farts. The topic was just farts. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I said something along the lines of like, you know, for a man, cause you know, this is guy code, you know, you know, yeah, for yeah, a yeah. guy farts is actually how we let you know about our emotions inside, you know, like, like you gotta <laughs> listen for a man's fart. Like if a man comes home and his fart is that means he had a hard day. Like, talk to him. 
Don't let him go to the shed by himself. He's going to kill himself. Listen to those fart noises. And yo, no lie. Eight people in that room are laughing. They're having a great time. That's great. Yeah. They're like, Che, what do you do on a first date? I'm like, you know what? Hey, ladies, guys, you know what you need to do on a first date with a girl? You need to find something to hate about someone else. You know, I'm doing these jokes. Like, when yeah. you're on a date, you got, man, isn't that waiter a piece of shit? You both start talking about how much you hate the waiter. Bam. Now you guys have something in common, you know? So I'm doing all these jokes. They're it. laughing. Yo, I'm, I'm having a great time during this audition. I forget it's an audition. I'm having such a fun time making these people laugh, right? Yeah. So How could this I possibly leave. go, like, how could this turn? I, I don't see, right? I don't see, I don't see a negative here. Uh, right, so I leave, I leave MTV thinking to myself, you know what? No matter what, I had a great audition, right? Yeah. Maybe, no lie, maybe like a day or two later, right? I'm in New York City. I get a phone call from my boy in Los Angeles, right? His name is Eric. He goes, yo, man, you're never going to believe this. And I go, what? He goes, I went today to the audition for Guy Court in Los Angeles, and they said that they met this kid yesterday from New York City. My name used to be Miguel. They Miguel that they are fucking in love with, that they can't wait to get you on the show. And I was like, Eric, please, stop. dude, this is the biggest show on MTV right now. This is, this is Pete Davidson. This is Michael. These are these people, man. Don't tell me that I got this. And you know, I'm like, he's like, dude, I, my agent told me they're looking at you. Bro, wow. and I was like, all right, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to chill. How did you feel chill. at that moment? Like, I felt like, like, honestly, like, I never actually talked about this on this perspective, but no lie, as an undocumented person at the time, I thought, like, yo, I did it. This is like, it, yo, right. I did it. Like, that, I, I mean, that's a world, this is it moment. Like, my lies to people, like, this is all going to pay off for <laughs> something. You know, because I had to, like, you know, at comedy clubs and stuff like that, you know, nah, you, I, got you, you. You, I can't let people know my status. Like, I was going on the road with these comedians, but I couldn't drive. So I was like, why don't you guys drive? And I'll put in $100 for gas. You know, I was yeah. being extra generous so people won't realize that I just can't drive. Th that's crazy. Wow. Bro, like, I'm so excited, right? I'm like, yo, this phone call is going to come any day now, any day now, any day now. A month goes by. Two months goes by. Finally, summer hits. It goes, season three of Geico premiering September 19th. And I'm like, what? You're like, did, did I miss a call or something? Like... Yeah, did I not check my, I was checking my email every day for three. Bro, the new season premieres. Christmas comes around. Every comedy club in New York City starts to do Christmas parties. You know, like, hey, if you're a comedian that works here, come on down, drink for free, eat for free. You know, we have a big show. It becomes like a giant party, right? And sometimes okay. you, you feel so cool because you're like, yo, I'm going to go to Caroline's. Yeah. I'm going to go to Broadway's. I'm a regular here. I'm going to get drunk all week, right? Just it becomes like comedy a bar hop. <laughs> comedy bar hop. For, for the first time in a year, you feel like you're a king. Like, these comedy clubs finally respect me and they're going to feed me. This is great, yeah. right? So I go to the party at The Stand. The Stand is like this new, edgy, trendy comedy club. Like, all the edgy comedians are there, like, you know, uh, Bill Burr is there all the time, Joe DeRosa, all these, oh, you know, wow. edgy-ass comedians, right? The woman who's the producer who brought me into the room, right, she's at this party, and she's drinking. She's drinking, she's drunk, you know, she's doing her thing. And, you know, I, I finally had the courage, you know, finally after a few drinks that she, I knew, I finally went up to her and I went, hey, listen, can I have a moment of your time? And she goes, yeah, absolutely. I go, listen, I'm sorry, um... Maybe I'm wrong on this, but my buddy from New York told me, I'm from LA, told me that you guys liked me at the audition, that you were going to get me on MTV's Guy Code. What happened? And she goes, we did love you. We thought you were perfect. We were actually going to call you that day. But the morning before we called you, we had one more focus group 
with a bunch of college frat boys, which was that was their typical demographic for the show. You know, they wanted to be like, hey, these are some episodes we shot. What do you guys think of a new season coming along so well before we add anybody else? And she goes, because nobody complained that there was no Latinx act, they cut the idea of adding you to the show. They just cut the idea? Yeah. So you understand, like, they brought me in because I was Hispanic. I blew them out of the water to the point that my name was going around all the MTV circuit. And then because five white guys who watched the show never mentioned the fact that they didn't see a Hispanic guy in there, they cut my whole everything from me. Right? And then my stupid ass was like, well, I'll just work harder next time. Instead of realizing, no, you <laughs> dumbass. They literally, like, this was the opportunity that made, you know, and I go back, this was the, the thing that made Pete Davidson. It was the thing that made Michael Che, you know. And they weren't yeah. asked, oh, well, you know, we don't need a black guy or we don't need another white guy, you know. But we're Hispanics, we're Latinos. You know, it's so easy just to say to us, well, we don't need you in a room. Yeah, because they don't have anyone, like, in the on the board you know what i mean yeah. like that looks like us and and represent us and that's what's i think that's like a huge systematic thing that's insane that they would just just because no one spoke up and then they're like well we'll, we'll cut you like we'll cut yeah. that 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 um that act i mean at that moment when you were speaking to to her you said your initial reaction was like oh i guess i just have to work harder yeah wow yeah, and, and it was very stupid of me not to realize that, like, you know. But, it I mean, was you were, never... like, 21, right? Like, what were you, 22, like, 21, yeah. 22, 22 at that yeah, time? Yeah, 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 Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to The Leo Podcast. I'm Kevin Munoz. Support for today's episode comes from my Patreons. If you enjoy the show and are looking for bonus content and to further support the show, then head on over to patreon.com slash latinamericaneo or visit my website, latinamericaneo.org to join the growing Leo podcast community because the learning doesn't stop with this episode. There's also some sick merch on my website, everything from shirts, coffee mugs, and tote bags. All info will be at the bottom in the show notes. Now let's get back to today's episode. And, and, and it's not even about working harder. You know, it's the thing that I've actually realized in my whole career is that it's just something about being the Hispanic in the room that makes people like not think about you. You know, it's so weird. Like us Hispanic people feel like we have to just really like we're not in white people's heads when they're when thinking about things, you know? So it, it just became like I need to work harder became like like almost a sick thing because then I got so obsessed with comedy and then I thought I wasn't good enough. And I was like, yeah. how am I not able to get on MTV? Like, but then the, the, here's the thing that I wanted to say. The thing that hurt the most that took a long time to realize is that like they found the funniest guy they could find. You understand like they they found the funniest guy they bragged about this guy they yeah. were in love with this guy but then my race made them just retract everything they felt about me about me you know yeah and that that hurts so much and it took me it took me years like i really like you know a lot of people and this goes back to the tiktok thing a lot of people go like you know it wasn't until five years ago that i started talking about you know being undocumented on stage mm. for the first time you know because I I needed to really learn very in the in the worst possible ways that I was a coon. I, I I'll admit it fully. You know, I I was undocumented, so I wanted white people to like me, and I wanted 
the industry to think that I was the perfect little, you know, Hispanic comedian that I, I was basically like selling myself for a buck, you yeah. know, doing all not these valuing races. like, you know, your, your, your worth, right? Yeah. Not valuing my worth, not respecting my community, you know, mm. and it became, you know, it became very, you know, it became very insidious. And that's the kind of thing that like, you know, I think a lot of people, um, I've been noticing this a lot too. Like, um, I've been reading, like seeing a lot of books about like, um, like undocumented people who were like, I worked on wall street undocumented. And there's a lot of like, um, oh, I hate like capitalist undocumented. I, I hate people, that you know what mindset I mean? of like, if, Oh, if I did it, like you can do it too. And yeah. it's just like, listen, you, your, your journey is so much different than like, yeah. we're all, our journeys are so different. It's just like, you can't just say that to someone like, yeah. And that was the maddening thing. Like literally after MTV, I, I literally like was almost obsessed with the fact that my, my life was going to change in this big dramatic entertainment way, you know? And yeah. it really, it was really, dude, it was very, very, uh, yeah, it was bad. It took me five years. Uh, it, it took me up until five years ago to finally break out of that and realize like, you know, I serve a purpose, you know, my comedy serves a purpose and my community like doesn't make me feel as like, you know, crazy about uh, where I belong, you know? Cause that's yeah. the thing that those, those uh, PWIs, you know, predominantly white institutions, man, they really make you feel crazy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, am I good enough? Do I belong here? You know, can I be thrown out at any moment? You know, but being able to like do things on TikTok about being undocumented yeah. and, and my community is like, yo, we're here, man. We like what you're doing. You know, we, you know, not every joke's a hit, but we like what you're doing. You know? like, <laughs> we love you. <laughs> we love you, man. We love the joke. guy making the joke. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's, so, that's, that's, a, that's a different world. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I wanted to also touch on, you said you started t then talking about your status openly five years ago. Um, how was that received? Was that during, was that during a standup? Was that at, like at a club? Um, and how was getting gigs doing that type of comedy? Like, was that any, did you see any uh, difference from from getting gigs from previous, what you were doing before to now shifting it to like undocumented, right? Yeah, and here's the thing, I, 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 I'm the perfect example for this, you know, to tell people like, if you start anything young, it's really hard to break out of that mold, you know? So it's, it's very difficult, it's very scary. You know, so when I start, I started at 18. You know, right. you know, that, you know, that that's very young to get up on stage and comedy club owners, you know, are I'm not I don't know what the exact number is. I'm making up this number, so don't quote me. But comedy club owners are about 90 percent white. Uh, my experience, the major comedy club chains in this country are like the improv uh, bonkers, uh, the funny bone. Those are like chains that are like, you know, like okay. a McDonald's of comedy. Like you go gotcha. to different cities in Ohio in, in Ohio and they have like a funny bone in every city and that's like their comedy mcdonald's you know all those all those chains are owned by white men or white women mm. right so when i started off as a kid i was the coon hispanic who was very down the middle you know like i said uber jokes sex jokes all this stuff so in 2015 i made the jump to go from being a part-time comedian to being a full-time comedian Right. This was like I was going to call every club that I knew I was going to mm. hit the road. You know, I had a, a driver's license and temporary status at the time so I could do a little bit more. And I was like, okay. while, while I have this temporary situation, I'm going to push my career as far as I could. Because, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, undocumented people. The one thing that I found is that we always like 
there's always that lull in our life when we're we're like you know undocumented or undocumented that we make like a like a dash to the finish oh, yeah. line where we get some kind of status very resilient right we got to take advantage of what we're the very little that we're given exactly so so i i sprinted so so this is what happened so like in 2015 i quit my job and i did comedy on the road and doing stand up comedy i can show you my income tax i made $34,000 in a year doing comedy that's clubs, selling t-shirts, like doing jokes about Uber, whatever, right? Yeah. Then I got into a situation where um, I left New York City because I was doing comedy in New York City and I got offered a contract out in uh, Indianapolis to be out there, work out there, do comedy out there, right? But um, it was a very weird time because I moved literally a month before Donald Trump picked Mike Pence to be his running mate, which was Indiana. Literally... Donald Trump had his rally with Mike Pence across the street from where I moved in Indianapolis. I moved across the street a month before to a place that was like where they do their state fair every year. It just happened to be. And I literally saw Donald Trump walking in with Mike Pence from my apartment building. I thought to myself, I could shoot him. Like, nobody knows I'm here. <laughs> like, nobody knows I'm up here. Nobody came to check these. I was so weird, dude. I was like, this is so weird that I'm here right now a month before, right? So whatever. So what happened was I went out there to work out with these what? white guys, right? And these white guys that I went out to work work out there with um, were starting to show that they were for Trump. And I didn't know that one, you know, because this okay, okay, Trump okay. really changed you start everything. Seeing, you start seeing the signs and you're, you're kind of like, oh, that's a little yeah. weird. But, I, but I'll let okay. that one slide. And then the next one's like, all right, yeah, I'm definitely in danger. And now <laughs> we're getting <laughs> fucking trouble, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so while I was out there, you know, I, I, I was I was with my new partner. We've been together since then. She's a white woman, my first ever white partner. And my white girlfriend, this is all just so crazy. You know, she was like she was sort of pushing me for a while. She's like, you need to start being a lot more honest about being, you know, undocumented. Like, I think this whole, you know, I was born in Queens and this this is all bullshit. Like she's she's like, you're, you're lying to people. And and it's just it's just not right. You're more interesting. You know, you, you've gone through this rough life and. I was, you know, a white person who's grown up in America their whole life, and she's like a liberal, you know, it's very easy for her to be like, speak your truth, baby, you know, yeah. but for an undocumented person, like, my truth will get me deported. Like, yeah, it's just like, like I'll, I'll be speaking my truth, just not over here anymore. Like, like, yeah. you know, a phone in the glass ceiling, that's why I'm speaking my truth. <laughs> but she was right. like, and then, and then, you know, and we moved out to Indianapolis together, right? And, you know, she, she, as a white person, she was a white whisperer. You know, she was like, hey, these white boys are fucking racist. These white boys are this, you know, these white boys are that, you know. And, and I started to realize, like, <laughs> yo, my girlfriend's right. Like, like, I hang out with a lot of racist white men because I'm fun, because I because I'm an, I was a, at that point almost an alcoholic. You know, it was almost like this. They were, you know, they, they liked this buffoon that I was, you know, and and so. In 2016, like a few months before Trump, you know, finally got elected, you know, I told my partner, I was like, yo, let's get out of Indianapolis and let's go to Philly. Like her, mm -hmm. her, um, her sister was starting to uh, work in Philly. So I was like, yo, you know, your sister needs roommates. Let's go to Philly. It's close to New York City, you know, and it feels like it's a better city. So I came out here to Philly and Philly was the best decision I ever made because after that racist thing happened where like I found out that a lot of my friends were Trump supporters and all this evil shit, I was like, I can no longer lie and get people to like me through this lie because it's attracting the wrong kind of people right yeah yeah you know yeah, that's what it, came with it right 
yeah, these 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 Trump supporter racists and, and the way I was presenting myself. So the next year, you know, I started to write more jokes about being undocumented and I was very proud of my comedy. And again, we go back to white men after Trump wins. Mm-hmm. They they start to do this thing to me where they they blackball me, you know, they they just they don't return my emails anymore. Once they start seeing that my act, because you know, the year before my act was like, man, you ever you ever fuck a girl in the butt? I'm sorry, can you like curse on this? Whatever. Oh anyway, yeah, no, you, go, yeah. you do whatever, whatever. And then the <laughs> next year I come back, it's like, yo, you ever, you know what's tough about growing up undocumented? And the audience is like, uh, we're white conservatives. We don't want to hear even if this is comedy, you are an undocumented person bragging about it. Like we don't like that. So right. I went in 2015 making $34,000 to 2016, I made $11,000 doing comedy. Same wow. club emailing them, but all they had to do was not return my emails. Not return them. And it just, it became like this, it, it really took me a long time to realize what was happening. It was my act. It was me. It was my confidence. It was my, just everything that I wanted to be. These white comedy club owners were like, this guy's not fun anymore. You know, I wasn't, that's how that is. as soon as you're political, as a, a person of color, you're not fun anymore. That's how white people get you. They go, you're not fun anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, and you oh. met me when I was 18 and I was a fucking, I wasn't reading books. I was just trying to impress you white racists. And now that I got a little knowledge in my head, now you don't even want me on your stage. Yeah, they're like, oh no, he's self-aware. Like <laughs> That becomes a problem. You know, be- becoming self-aware is a, it's a very big problem. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah that, that's why I asked because I was interested, um, to see if you started getting less gigs less when you gig. started doing like an undocumented like content and and that seems like what what happened and obviously you could see that through through the like less money you were making and were you support you were supporting yourself that was what you were using to support yourself right yeah, yeah so yeah, did my, you my partner, yeah. right did you have to like i mean you you obviously stayed true to your content and like how did you how did you keep like thriving even after coming to that realization that I'm now going to be making less, but, but I'm staying true to, to myself. Right. Honestly, like it, it's all about the partner, man. It's all about my mm. partner. I, I owe yeah. her the world, you know, um, she, she was like, you're good. She's like, the problem is that like, it's not going to be easy for you. You know, it's, it's, uh, you talk a lot about, you know, race and relationships in a way that a lot of uh, cis men don't talk about, you know, you're very vulnerable. And my partner is at least kind enough. She has a great ear for music. So this is why like, and actually when we were in New York City for that one year, like she moved in with me and she saw my world where I was like hanging out with all these celebrities and like, and she's like, you belong here. Like you belong here, babe. Like you're good. You know, <laughs> so, so she was very much like when she saw that, my comedy was taking a different turn and that it was hurting me financially. She was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to work, you know, cause she was staying at home and she, she got back yeah. to work and she allowed me to, you know, just, um, to start doing improv, something I've never done before. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I started teaching, you know, I started doing my podcast yeah. and, you know, and then uh, this is like an earlier podcast that I had before. Um, and then little by little, like my career started to become more specialized, like, okay, now, my standup is mostly like, you know, only undocumented stuff. And then the the thing that became kind of tough about that was because even local clubs now, like, I, okay, fine. The racist clubs out of town weren't having me, but then the local city clubs now only would book me on political comedian weekends. 
You know what I mean? Ah, so now okay. I'm not even, it's just, honestly, a white people just start to put all these different rules in their head. Like, like if you ask a, a white comedian, could two women go up on the same show? They'll go, yeah, but not back to back. And you go, what the fuck does that make sense? They just think that like two women back to back is going to ruin the show. You know what I mean? Wow. Or, or if it's a, you know, if it's a Friday and Saturday night, you got to realize, right? Comedy clubs are businesses, right? So if on Friday and Saturday night, they're going to go see a guy like, who am I thinking of? Like, uh, oh, uh, Bert, Bert, uh, Bert Kreischer. You know, Bert Kreischer? He, he's this white guy. He talks basically all about getting drunk and fucking women in Russia, right? Okay. Very lowbrow humor. But his audience spends a lot of money. The club, initially, when he's the headliner, will book like a feature or an opener. The club on a Friday or Saturday night is not going to book me because I'm problematic because his his crowd to, to his, his crowd to his crowd, right? Mm. Most most clubs Friday and Saturday night. If you look it up, the comedy club act is a very mediocre white person who is not really offensive. You know, it might be sex jokes, but they're not. Now, when you have a comedian that's like specifically politics, like like I don't know when he was alive, like Paul Mooney, mm, like. Mm. He would be on a Thursday or a Sunday night, and every other comedian yeah. around him is also a political comedian. You know what I mean? So it becomes yeah. like I became isolated now. Now, even though I'm, you know, I'm, my jokes are about like my undocumented mom, it's still a mom who's freaking me out and shit. That alone has put me now on the political category. So now I get booked even less because now I, I'm a specialty act now. I'm not yeah. just a regular comedian anymore. Wow. I never realized how much went into comedy clubs like thanks for breaking that down for us because i obviously i know like business um aspects of things but not with with this type of thing like with comedies and uh, dealing with that many people and and crowds and being undocumented um at that too so that's that's insane <laughs> like so how did you um d do you still do stand up yeah, or, yeah, or, I, uh, yeah, I do. Uh, man, you know, stand-up comedy is like it's 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 that girl I'll never stop loving. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I want okay. I want her to love me so bad. I, yeah. I want her just to like honestly like, I as much you know it's funny because like as much people are like man I love your TikToks like I love your podcast I love all the, I'm still like check out my comedy like check out my stand-up comedy like that's actually yeah. like the thing that I want the most to pop off, and you know because like I I honestly. When I'm on stage, everything that people hate about me, or at least that I think people hate about me in the real world, it kind of all comes together on stage, you know, like, like, uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm over dramatic with my hands, you know, but on stage, it's fucking hilarious, you know, I, yeah. I, I exaggerate a lot when I'm telling stories, I use my face a lot, you know, I'm very loud. All the time, people as a Dominican, they're like, mira, shh, va la voz, demasiado alto. I'm like, pero me gusta hablar así, coño, me gusta hablar así. You know, like, <laughs> yes. So when I'm on stage, people are like, yeah, talk like that, be that, you know. So on stage, like, everything that I that the world tells me, like, yeah, you're too loud, you're too obnoxious, you're, you're too political to stop. Yeah. On stage, as long as I'm making people laugh, they That's let me say matters. whatever I want. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, honestly, I love it. I love it so much. Even like I'm doing Zoom shows. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I still like love seeing the people on Zoom laughing, and I'm like, oh, I got you. Even from from home, I got you. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love yeah. it. You know. That's that's awesome. No, I'm glad you are. Um, because I only asked because I've you know you found so much success through TikTok, and I was just wondering if you were like allocating a lot more of that time towards towards building that right. 
Um, but I want to I want to talk about how you found have you like success through TikTok, but um, because you you were on Instagram before, right? But then mm-hmm. you went on to TikTok and that just elevated your yeah. your viewership, and and then you even got into the Latinx was it creator program? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell us all about that as well and your experience and and what you like recommend for other creators like Latinx folks. Um, that was that was a fun experience. Um, you know, I don't know if TikTok's gonna see this, but I'll be real with you. Uh, TikTok did kind of like the bare minimum for us. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of just like gave us pamphlets and told us things to do that we were already all doing. So it yeah. felt very uh very empty. You know, um. The, the one thing I got to tell Latinx people, man, is the one thing that I had to learn the hardest possible. Um, nobody's coming to save you. You know, uh, you got to you got to find uh, people within your own community and work with them. You know, you can't do it all alone. You know what I mean? But the mainstream path that's like laid out for people, it's it's a very white concept. You know, for us, it becomes very much like you got to write your own TV show. You got to produce your own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do it yourself and get your community to like you and then do your best not to sell that thing to the white, you know, Spotify when they come through, you know, because because it's, you know, like I'm, I'm someone, you know, that I that I followed all the right steps. You know, yeah. like I did. I, I auditioned like, you know, every year when I did stand up comedy, there's this thing called the Montreal Comedy Festival, where that's where every comedian wants to go to. And, you know, every year I auditioned and, you know, I was great. But, you know, like but managers and agents just thought maybe it wasn't my year. I wasn't ready. You know, it's all these bullshits that like, and then you see the lineup of who is going up there. And the only Hispanic person that's going has like a very thick accent. He's like, Hey, yeah, you know me though. I'm from, and you're like, right, right. Damn. Yeah. They have such a idea of what we are that they don't fucking break that mold that they have, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was the toughest thing about like, you know, when I started doing TikTok and realizing like even more of my old fan base fell off, you know, white people who were following me who were fans, you know, like I don't like this undocumented shit. I don't like the fact that you just dedicate yourself to that. So it's like we have to do this for ourselves. You have to do it in a way where, you know, you're creating your own art. It's making you happy. And also, also it's like when you start doing your art and hanging out with your community, you know, they inspire you, you inspire them. Like the art goes back and forth, you know, because like now I'm working through, t- this is kind of how like TikTok works that it's not really money that you make, but it's opportunities. Like right. a, a Latinx theater in Philadelphia found me through my TikTok, right? And they want me to teach Latinx high school kids how to do stand up comedy. So wow. I'm very excited. We worked it out. You know, this summer I'm going to be teaching. You know, I'm going to be doing shows in English and Spanish for the community, teach kids how to do that. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to do it. And I'm, I'm like, I can't wait. You know, it also gave me a chance to like do comedy every week and I get paid. Right. Which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but here's what's great. This whole theater, man, it's a very, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a very rich theater. They have a lot of money and they specifically cater to Latinx community. The guy who brought me in for the job as a standup instructor, I told him, I was like, look, man since I was a kid, I wanted to be like in theater, but I grew up in the hood, you know? So, so we didn't have these theater programs and the guy goes, we have a program for like high school kids that I want to put you in. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm a little old. He's like, no, 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 this is great. You know, we teach you how to do, you know, audio visual. We do all these things. And he goes, and after you finish the program, I can hire you as my production assistant, you know? 
So I wow. could, I, I already did, I, I, I'm learning now. The first one I did, we did this, this beautiful production from Mariachi, right? And the thing yeah. is that this theater, like I was up in the sound booth, man, and we had cameras, we had sounds. It was, it looked like we were putting on the, the Super Bowl, you know? Yeah, yeah. And this is for kids, but I'm getting the opportunity to go in there. And what I realized was everybody around me is Latinx, right? The people singing up, uh, up front that we're putting the show for, the chicken in Spanish, they're singing, you know, like uh, Vicente Fernandez, right? Yeah, yeah. And I made a lot of mistakes my first day there. But the beautiful thing was that I never felt stupid. That I never felt like I was going to get fucking thrown out of that place. Mm-hmm. You know? And the guy at the end of the day, Bill, he was like, you did a great job, man. I can't wait to have you back next month. I signed up next month for two days so I can learn how to do more lights and do more, you know, more, more visual. So one day I can be in the sound booth by myself putting on that show for these amazing Latin acts, right? And that's Damn. where I realized, like, Yo, when you're in a space full of Latinx people and they're supporting you and you're supporting each other, you don't feel like a fucking loser like you do around white spaces all the time. Mm-hmm. White spaces make you feel like, oh, I'm going to fuck up. You know, so yeah. that's what I'm telling you. My piece of advice is like, find other Latinx people. Find other Latinx people who are willing to teach you, who are willing to, to, to help you grow, who want to see you do better because then you don't feel so fucking like scared or make mistakes. And that's the thing what we all need to be able to do is make mistakes so we can get better. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that's, to- that's beautiful. You know? Oh my god! I had to be so perfect doing stand up, like my entire career, man. I'm not even fucking with you. That's what that's one thing that makes me mad, is that from the first time I got up on stage, I was good because I knew that I couldn't be even mediocre. Yeah, and evidently, like you were, you were great, you know. And that opportunity just it, it literally got like slashed, like stolen away yeah. from, from you, um, because the lack of representation. Exactly. In in some conference room or something, right? And no one spoke up. Wow. Do you ever see yourself starting like a comedy club yourself? Yeah. In the future? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love that. That's exactly. I want to have the first Latinx chain of clubs, man. Like Latinos are going to be the, you know, we're going to be the majority by what, 2042 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That that means mm-hmm. there, there should be a comedy club chain for only Latinx people in Austin. There should be one, you know, in, in Arizona. There should be one in L.A. You know, like, I'm tired of these white men running these clubs. <laughs> tired of it. Yeah, that's why I ask. Have you connected, like, other folks um, and, the, and other Latinx folks in the, in the space as well? Through, um, the, through, like, TikTok or any other means? I have a, I have a lot of... Um, people that I met through different walks of life, you know, that yeah. they've had the undocumented experience. And it's kind of, it kind of seems a little bit like, you know, like everybody's kind of ready to support me in something like that, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, I do want to, I do want to open up a comedy club specifically for like Latinx people. So I have, I have had some people like, you know, I would, I would love to fund that. I'm actually, uh, I just finished up. I finished my, uh, finished school in May for business administration. You know, I'm learning how to like, you know, Let's put a, uh, you know, like a business plan together. So my thing is, if I am going to approach my community to help me out with this, I want to make sure they know I'm not stealing their money. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, Absolutely. I'm just learning now. Yeah, I'm yeah. Learning now. That's great. No, I love it. And, you know, dealing with so much that, that you have, how do you even deal with, like, all the trolls and and people that might not like your sense of humor or content, you know, mm-hmm specifically people that are just like racist right like yeah. there might be some racist people in the in your comments when you do your videos and you get a lot of views on on tiktok so you get all types of people how do yeah. you how do you deal with that 
Um, yeah, no, I get a lot of racist uh, trolls. I, I deal with it in two ways. One, I got a, a fantastic fan base that actually like comes to protect me. Like, it's funny when like somebody goes, go, <laughs> like somebody else say something like, "Why haven't you gotten fucking citizenship yet?" You fucking and it's so lazy like... bitch. And somebody's like, "Oh, because when he was 19," and I'm like, "Yo, y'all watch that video? Like, like you came in like with the answer for me? Like that's yeah. fucking amazing." So I just sit back and let somebody else answer for me because it's 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 honestly it's beautiful how much like. I know about other undocumented people because they share a lot and they know about me. So I'm like, yeah, I know what happened to him, actually. So don't fuck with him. Um, The other way I deal with it is honestly like the constant like racism I just felt in stand-up comedy. It just made me realize like as cheesy as it is, you're not for everyone. And if honestly, if you are for everyone, you are doing something wrong. You then, are, you're ca- then you're like catering to everyone. You're catering, right? you know, or, the yeah. greatest comics who were like controversial and like, you know, and, and, you know, brought friction to this earth were not liked. Like, you know, like, like I, I go back to Paul Mooney, you know, who was not liked. He, he, white people hated him, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, George Carlin for, for a lot of people, he was not liked. And one thing about George Carlin, that he's the only comedian you notice this, the older he got, the younger his audience got. That mm. doesn't happen to a lot of comedians. That's interesting. Yeah. Don Rickle at yep. age 90 was reporting for fucking Betty White at 99. You know what I mean? They, yeah. They, they, but like, but um, but George Carlin, the older he got, the more he was like, fuck the system, fuck the establishment. And younger people were like, yeah, fuck the system, fuck the establishment, you know? <laughs> people like him now because he's dead, but not at the end. At the end, he was very anti-Bush, anti-war, anti-oil, you know? He was very all that. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. You have um, you you're also doing some some other projects, right? You I want I want you to share that how those came about and and what they mean to you specifically. Um, like you started your podcast now, and you're also doing stand up shows. So mm-hmm. I want to know like when you have those shows, and also what your new podcast is is about and and what your goal for all that is as well yeah um check out my podcast uh like i said uh it's called my undocumented ass podcast um i i i did it because i wanted to help other people laugh about what we've been through you know because uh one of the few gifts i have is i'm able to make people laugh you know and what we find when i'm having these conversations with these other people is that uh so many times i'm like oh fuck that happened to me too and we just start laughing. And a lot of times, you know, I'll get messages like, yo, that thing you guys are talking about, that happened to me too. And it was fucking crazy. <laughs> and it's just like, yo, literally, yo, once you start sharing, you start realizing, like, I, one thing that I've always told myself that, like, people were like, no, you shouldn't say that about yourself. I always go, I'm not special. And that's beautiful. Because not special means that you understand other people's experience. That means you've had the same things happen to you. You know what I mean? That right. means you both can be like, man, we're here, you know? People who say, you know, oh, man, LeBron James, he's exceptional. Yeah, that's kind of lonely because he's 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 among the few people who can relate to that group top. of yeah. exceptionalism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, ordinary people, man, we have a lot of motherfucking ordinary people to relate to, you know? So, so I'm ordinary. I'm basic. And all my friends that I meet are having the same experience. And, and that's been, like, the most rewarding thing about having this podcast. It's like, man, we are just part of this system, just regular folk, just part of the system. Yeah. And and that's been great to share with people and people who don't have that knowledge to start wanting to learn more. That's been so rewarding. And, you know, 
I uh, if, if you want to know about my stand-up shows, um, you should just follow me on uh, my undocumented ass on Instagram or or TikTok, because right now, um, like again, like comedy clubs aren't calling me, but what I'm very lucky is that like organizations are. So like I'm, I'm performing right. for uh, on Tuesday from home, I'm performing for this organization in Los Angeles that um, specifically helps undocumented kid goes to college. You know, uh, I got to go to Austin and perform for the Civil Rights Projects, which is all dedicated to the entire, um, you know, state of Texas to help undocumented people, you know, get out of ICE facilities and, you know, be reunited with their families and, you know, find pathways to citizenship. And they brought me out and it was honestly, I'm doing less shows for much more rewarding, you know, spaces and better yeah. paying too, if I can be honest with you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'll, be got, with you. I'll be real with you. These organizations, yeah, yeah. they got a big budget, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I have made, I have made it a little bit of a, of a, of a habit that if I make money doing these shows, I have to give a percentage to an organization that helps out undocumented people or mm. I donate a percentage back because it, it feels kind of dirty to be like, I'm making money talking and joking about the system that I'm literally trying to fight. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, right, you know, right. it's the system that other people are in a cage because of, I don't, I don't feel too well making money off of it, you know? So, so I still try to like, you know, give a percentage back cause it feels dirty at times. I love that. Yeah. No, thank you for all the work that you're doing as well. And you know, if anything that we didn't touch upon um, that you want to mention this is uh, your time to do so that you, maybe you want to speak to the audience and give some tips or just more about yourself. This, this is your time. Um, just, you know, uh, stay, stay woke, uh, especially for a lot of uh, uh, Hispanic people. We, uh, we really need to uh, really educate ourselves on, you know, the system that we're up against, you know? So I just, that's just my thing. Just, you know, um, you know, keep yourself informed. And also, you know, like I said, find your community. Find mm. find an organization out there that's helping out other, uh, you know, undocumented or immigrants something because they're strength in numbers. That's just something that I've learned, um, you know, in this. People always ask me, how are you so vocal about growing up undocumented and not afraid right. about being deported? And I go, honestly, the one thing that uh, takes away some of the fear is the fact that I know a lot of people love me. You know, uh, a lot of people on TikTok who are, you know, lawyers and and doctors and nurses and my partner, who's a very, very loud white woman, uh, you know, and my <laughs> friends and my family, you know, they all know and they all love me and they know why I'm doing this. So if I always say, man, if one day, you know, ice ever comes and, you know, pulls me by the collar, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to be thrown in a box and forgotten. You know, I'm very lucky yeah. that a lot of people will make noise. And, you know, that's what you should realize, you know, the more you share with people and the more you let them in, the more they love you and, and the more they want to do for you if you're ever in trouble. So don't ever feel like you're alone. You know, it's easy to shut yourself off from the world when this is happening to you. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Che. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast and, and sharing a lot about yourself and the things that you're doing. You know, I, I hope it's an inspiration to many. I, I know just hearing your story, I, I learned a lot. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you enjoyed it, please share it with a family or a friend and rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps tremendously in order to bring more awareness and educational resources to our community. For more information and to stay up to date with what I'm doing, you can follow me on Instagram at Latinoamericaneo. And if you need more information and resources, you can visit my website, latinoamericaneo.org. I'm Kevin Munoz. This has been the Leo Podcast, and I'll see you next time. This podcast is not investment advice. I am not a qualified, licensed investment advisor. All information on here, including any ideas, opinions, views, predictions, forecasts, commentaries, suggestions, or stock picks expressed or implied are for informational, entertainment, or educational purposes only and should not be construed as personal investment advice. Conduct your own due diligence or consult a licensed financial advisor or broker before making any and all investment decisions. Any investments, trades, speculations, or decisions made on the basis of any information found on this podcast, expressed or implied, are committed at your own risk, financial or otherwise.